0: Hi, my name is Eliane Boltsin, and you're listening to The Effect on
1: Us. you go on the train, nobody tells you where the end station is, and you go, and the train takes you.
0: There was about 120,000 Jewish people shoved into the ghetto, which was about one and a half square kilometers. If my
1: mother's family hadn't been saved by Stanislav Rocholsky, who put his life and his wife's life, and his children's life at risk in order to save them, I would not be sitting here and talking to you right now.
0: The Effect on Us podcast. Here's Elian Goldstein. The Effect on Us is a podcast for people of all ages to learn about controversial subjects and the ties it has to people nowadays. In this season, the focus of the series is the Holocaust. You'll be able to hear some of the best survival stories I have ever heard from people that went through the Second World War and learned more about the effect the Holocaust had on people from Generation 1 to Generation 3. Did you know that on Kristallnacht, aka the Night of Broken Glass, the Nazis burnt synagogues looted Jewish homes and businesses and arrested and imprisoned approximately 30,000 Jewish men in Germany? In this episode, I'm talking to Liesl who tells me about her time living in a concentration camp. She also doesn't like being called a Holocaust survivor, but prefers a witness to history. What is your name?
1: My name is Liglot, I, V, R, I, I, V, I, V, V, I. But my main name was Epstein.
0: Where were you born?
1: I was born in the Czech Republic in a little village called Czech Ljuskjany and in German Liechtenstein.
0: What year were you born?
1: I was born in 1925.
0: How was your childhood leading up to the war?
1: Oh, I had a very nice childhood. Even so, my father died when I was three and a half. My mother was a terrific housekeeper, businesswoman, mother. So she, we had a store, a, a general store, and it was it was connected with a house. It was her fa- her father lived already there, and her grandmother was born in the little village. And they had ten children, five boys and five girls. And my mother was the youngest, so she stayed with her parents. After all, in between, there was a First World War, and all the brothers and sisters, they went to the city, and she stayed with her parents. The First World War was 1914 till 1918. And my father was in the the First World War, but they must have known each other probably before, And he came from the next village, and his father had an inn. And I had an uncle here to to whom I came. He said my father was very strong, and they needed him because in the inn, people start to fight. So he would go in between it. So his nose nose was broken. It was crooked. Unfortunately, my father died very young. I was three and a half. My brother was one and a half. We had a very good store. My mother was a very good business And, uh, we only had primary school. So she felt that I should go to high school. In order for me to go to high school, I had to go to the city. But I couldn't, I couldn't go back and forth during the day. So she had found a place. Where I would be able to stay with the people and go to school. It is very funny. I remember everything very clearly, except for the school year. I don't know why it just disappeared from my memory, but because maybe I didn't like it there. That was a second year high.
0: Did you like the people that you stayed with? No, I, I don't remember anything about that
1: school. I don't remember any of the kids. I, re, I remember one teacher. He was a math teacher in geometry, geometrics. His name was Meixner. I don't know anything else about it. Probably because I didn't like it. It was 1937, 1938. It was already before the war. Everybody was talking about the war. In 1937, because the war broke out, in 1938, And we had a wonderful president. His name was Domash Karik Masarik. He lived in. His wife was um, American, and they were wonderful. They had one son, Jan, and a daughter. I think maybe another son. And the son became foreign minister during after the war. And the German threw him down the window, and they killed him. His name was Jan Masaryk. He was well known all over the world.
0: Did you get to visit your mother while you were going to high school?
1: No, my mother was not. When I went to high school, my mother was at home. I was I was boarding with a family in an in a town because I couldn't. It was too far to to um, go every morning to school. There was an bus. It would have taken me two and a half hours. So I, my fl- my mother found a place where I could board. And only lately I found out that I sh- I shared my bedroom with the family, because I went to bed at eight and they probably went to bed at ten. I never saw them going to bed and they got up early. So I never saw them that they were in my same room. It's very it's only lately, you know, you start thinking about it. And they had a daughter, Irene, she was a very beautiful girl. She went to a commercial high, and she didn't want to have very much to do with me because she was fifteen and I was thirteen, so she was like a grown up. So she didn't have very much to do with me.
0: Did you move back to your town at one point during high school? No,
1: because in 1938, the Germans occupied part of the Czech Republic. And so we left, we ran away. And my mother had lots of brothers and sisters in Prague. And so they said, you better come to Prague. So we took the train and we came to Prague. And I stayed with my mother's oldest brother and wife and she was a former school teacher so her first thing was on her mind to put me back to school which was really very good the only problem was the schools were all czech speaking and i didn't speak czech i spoke very little within three months i was fluent in czech and czech is not an easy language you know, the, the the grammar is of from English to grammar and, and Czech is quite different.
0: You spoke English and German before?
1: I spoke Czech and and German.
0: What was life like for you living in Prague?
1: Well, at the beginning, as I told you, I lived with my uncle and my aunt. And my aunt my aunt was a former school teacher, so the first thing on her mind was to get me back into school. So, she took me to the principal of the high school and she told him, this is my niece, she just arrived, I would like she should go here to school. The problem is, she doesn't speak Czech. He said, no matter, don't worry, she'll pick it up very soon. So, I started school and he was very right. I picked up the language very, very soon. I'm good in languages, so I I pick up languages very, very soon because I speak Czech, German, some French, some Hebrew. I like languages. It says how as many languages as you speak that many times you're a human being.
0: Did people know that you were Jewish?
1: Of course. I would never hide that. During the war, we couldn't hide it. We had to wear a yellow star here. It was made from material, and we had to sew it on. Right, we I couldn't go out it. without a star. Right. And the funny part is, the first person I saw came out of a, like we were here on the streets, and they were there, and there came out a nun, and she had a star. Can you figure out why? As long as you, your grandfather was Jewish, you are considered Jewish, and even though she was a nun, she had to wear a star. And the star had to be sewn on, because they don't want that you take it off and put it back, and they checked on you.
0: What was it like for you to wear the star?
1: I was very proud of it. I was very proud to be a Jewess.
0: Did you ever receive any anti-Semitic attacks?
1: No. You see, the Czech Republic was a different country than here people were not anti-semitic There were some but the majority they accepted you and they i mean we lived among them from hundreds of years my my grandfather he he didn't he wasn't born in this village he was born in another but i have papers he was born i think 18 1840 or something like that their people were not anti-semitic they they, they grew up together. Like my mother came from a family of ten children, and they had to go to primary school in the little village, and then high school they went there. When I went to school, my brother and I were the only Jewish children. So when the priest came and was teaching religion, my mother allowed me to stay until... They started talking about Christ. So she spoke to the, to the priest and she said, when you're going to start the New Testament, please excuse it. He says, of course. So my mother engaged a rabbi from another city who had to come by bus. It took him two hours by bus. And then they couldn't find us because we didn't like him. You know, children are very bad. He was limping. So, that was already a bad thing. Children are horrible. They judge people the way they look. If he would have come like a night sky, he would have be been okay. But he was limping. Anyway, he came, and he started teaching us Hebrew, and uh, the first thing, of course, we learned Shema Israel and learned how to read and things like that. My mother arranged that. It took him two hours to come to us by bus. And then he was, then they had to look for us, because we were from our way in the village. And then he was staying an hour and he went, went back again. Anyway, so I learned the, the fundamentals from this guy. He wasn't, very not very enthusiastic either. A synagogue we didn't have. Not in our village. We had to go to different villages. There was one Right far away, we had to go through woods and fields. On Yom Kippur, at the end, my mother arranged with our driver. We had horses, so he came with the horses to pick us up in the synagogue, so we didn't have to, because it was a long walk, and we we never drove. And even when I was married and lived here already, I would never drive to synagogue. I always walked. It was to honor my mother, because she also did that.
0: Did you fast on Yom Kippur?
1: Of course. I still fast. It's nothing for me to fast. I fasted many times.
0: How long did you stay in Prague for?
1: I came in 1938, and in, 19, in the fall of 1941, I believe, I was sent to the concentration camp. That so was about three years.
0: Did you go with your mother and your brother?
1: My mother, she lives. It was always where you lived, and my mother, my my mother, went a few months before me. So when I came to the ghetto, I saw them again, but I never lived with them anymore.
0: What was it like for you in the concentration camp?
1: No, well, there were different kinds of camps. The first one was called Terezinstadt. It was a ghetto, and there were people from many countries. There were people from the Czech Republic, there were people from Germany, there were people from Austria, and then there people came from Holland. It was an army town to begin with. So there were a lot of army barracks, that means big buildings with small rooms. So they put people in, in those. Some people were put in private homes because it was a city, and they, they moved the people away and they moved people into those houses. We had a communal kitchen. You went and had a pot and they gave you in the morning brown cork, brown water. Uh, for lunch you got soup. For supper you might get a dumpling maybe. Things like that. Nothing very much. But at the beginning we still had things from home. Every brother brought a little something. Some coffee, some cream of wheat and uh, we we picked up on the street maybe they were delivering potatoes and they fell on the ground and we picked them up but one story I will tell you and it will shock you but it's part of my story. I had friends, boys from the school and I was I was walking and they say, "Hey, would you like to come for supper?" I said, "Sure." Well, come at six thirty. Supper will be served. So I went there and they were all sitting around, and they served me supper. And after I finished, it was pretty good. They said, "Do you know what you ate? Maybe chicken, but a cat." I think what they said not too bad. So you learn all kinds of things. And you, you have to go along with the flow because otherwise you stick out. And if you go with the flow, so somehow things kind of move on. So I was there. Um, first of all, my mother was, was called up into the, another transport. It was uh, in the summer of 43. And my brother came during the night to me and he said, He's going as a volunteer with mother. And I said, well, that's very nice. If you want to do that, that would be good. So he did go with her. Well, and go. Nobody, nobody told you you had a ticket to Auschwitz or you had a ticket to Montreal. You went to the train and off you went. So they left in September of 43. We didn't know where they went. The transport came. And they went. In the place where we were, it's called Terezín or Terezienstadt. It was a ghetto. And there were people from the Czech Republic, from Austria, from Germany, from Holland.
0: How old were you at this time? Thirteen. So, do you know, did you ever see your mom and brother again?
1: Yeah. We used to get together on Sunday afternoon. My mother used to work as a nurse. And my brother was making toys, and I worked also in a hospital. You know, you became what there was available. Everybody became something something new, but they all did a good job, and doctors stayed doctors, nurses stayed nurses. But otherwise, oh, we even had an orchestra, and they played music, uh, modern music, jazz. And then there was a, an opera company, and somebody... Um, wrote an, an opera and it's called Brunjibar. If you will look it up on on the computer we will find. Maybe they even show you the music. It's called Brunjibar. And it's called Brunjibar. We got Brunjibar because we did been afraid of him.
0: Yeah, It, it
1: was very famous.
0: You said that After the ghetto, before, I think you said that you went to a concentration camp?
1: Yes, I, like I told you, my mother went in September, my brother went with her, and I went in December 44, no, 43. And so you go on the train, nobody tells you where the end station is, you have nothing, you just have a little piece of, just a few things, and you go. And the train takes you. And uh, we came to a was a station was open fields, kind of. The, the train stopped and the doors opened. And there were a lot of young boys running around. And they would say, don't go on the trucks. Because if you go on the trucks, it's not very good. But you had no choice. You had to go. So we went on the trucks, and they took us into camp. They were different, and the camps were like long fields with barracks on it. There was A, B, C, D, we were B, so, but we didn't know. And the, the young boys who were helping, they said, don't go on the trucks. I said, why? Well, you should go on the trucks, they'll kill you, but you have no choice, you have to go. So you go on the trucks and they bring you into camp. And they divide you, there were barracks on each side. And they had numbers. And I was on barrack 11. So we were there a little while. And then they said we should line up. And we went to another one, there was a girl sitting. And she was doing the numbers. The women had different numbers than the men because there were more men than, than women. So you just put your hand out, and she was doing her her thing.
0: Did you find out which concentration camp you went to?
1: This was Auschwitz, the famous Auschwitz.
0: And then you know what? There
1: was even a gypsy camp.
0: What did you do to pass the time in the camp?
1: A lot of times we had to stand outside to be counted, in the morning and in the afternoon. Winter, summer, we had no... We had hardly anything on, and we had to be standing outside to be counted. And if they added up and they didn't add up, so they started again, so we had to stand out till it, they found the right number, and then we were allowed to go in and to get washed, for instance. There was a a, a building. It had tabs, and then here it water. So... In order to get washed, the girls got undressed. They couldn't care less who was next to it, but they washed from head to toe. And that kept us more alive than boys. Boys, they just came, uh, finished. But we tried to keep clean, and that helped us to stay alive.
0: What was your number?
1: 70663. It's right here.
0: Oh, I see, yeah. Was your mom in the same camp as you?
1: Yes, but she was there already three months before. And unfortunately, older people, she was not old, she was 50 years old. But they were considered older people. And we had three bunks, like bottom, middle, and and the older people, my mother, who was 50 years old, she was on the bottom. And that is like... Living in hell, because there's no window, no nothing. You are in there. It was horrible.
0: And what about your brother?
1: My brother was in another uh, barrack because he was a, a boy. So the boys were separate. And and he was working. And everybody liked him.
0: Did you have a job there? What did you do? Oh, there's all kinds. To clean up,
1: to, to carry things. You do everything they want. There's not much, you know, the barracks have no furniture. There on each side are bunks, three stories, and in the middle there's like a, a chimney, not up, but this way. So when you're punished, they put you on the chimney, sitting with a chair. It's pretty hard.
0: How long did you stay in the camp for?
1: In Auschwitz? Yes. I came there in December, I believe. And I was there till the summer, December forty, forty-three. 43.
0: What bunk did you sleep on?
1: On top. The young people went on top. And they were, we were five or six sleeping next to each other.
0: What happened after the summer?
1: It was in the spring. At once, we had to line up and we had to go through selections. That means you get undressed completely and you take your clothes on this arm. And you walk, and where you are, there was a SS man by the name of Mengele, Dr. Mengele, and he did this. One was life and one was death. You just had to walk. And the, the soldiers were watching what, what he was doing. And they pulled you one way or the other. He decided who's gonna live and who's gonna die.
0: You got life? How,
1: how, what it was like? Well, you can imagine. It's like being anywhere where they decide whether you're going to live or die. The only thing is we were there already half a year or so, and we got used to these horrible things.
0: Did it happen every day?
1: Not in our camp. Our camp was called a family camp because there were women, men, and children. There also was a gypsy camp. There only were gypsies there. Then there was a camp only for men. And then uh, later on, the Hungarian Jews came. So the girls, the Hungarian girls, were next to us. They were on the other side, with were some French prisoners. They, it always changed. They cleared it out, brought up new ones and so on. And the French ones, they saw the girls that they wanted to come where the girls were. So they tried to go underneath the barbed wire, like silly boy.
0: When were you liberated from the camp?
1: Oh no, not so quick. So then... I told you we were selected, we had to go to him. he did whatever. And so I was chosen to live for a while. So all the ones who were chosen, they went to one side and the other. And we went and moved to a women's camp. Now when we arrived, there were women, they are quite some time from Poland, and they were, say, maybe already a year or something, so they were tough. And so we came there. And we wanted to go to the washroom. They wouldn't let us, they? because they knew that we are going to leave. So if you leave, that's, you are untouchable, kind of. So we were there a few days. We wanted to go to the washroom, like to wash and so on. they wouldn't let us in. Or they would stand there with a pail and they would, you have to understand. They knew that if they stayed there, they were going to be killed. And they knew that, that if we believe that we have a chance to live. So, of course, they didn't like us. So then the next day, we had to line up, and they divided us. So my part was sent to Hamburg, to Germany. Another part was sent to Estonia. They divided us. Before we left, we were examined internally because people hide things there so she, they wanted to find it and then we went on the train which was a miracle we got out of Auschwitz it never happened never, never anybody alive went out so they put it on the train us on the train girls, only girls and then uh, so we started going We had to stop a few times because there were air raids and we didn't know where we were going. We ended up in Hamburg. That's a long way from where we were. So we came in summer of 44 to Hamburg and we, there used to be warehouses and that's where they, that's where they stayed. And the first night was an air raid, the British, because they were bombing Hamburg every day. The British in, at night and the Americans during the day. We didn't go anywhere. We stayed up and we just heard the, the bombs falling and uh, things. But, you know, we were tough. And then the next day they they divided us and we went to work. I worked in a factory cleaning up and then we did all kinds of things. We went by boat, so that was nice. And next to us were soldiers. Italian soldiers who were kind of prisoners, not prisoners, but they were there, and they were they were outside every morning to say have a good day. So there was one guy, most handsome, and he would be there every morning, and he would greet me like this. That was our greeting. As a matter of fact, I try to f- write to him from here, but. I sent the letter, and I didn't send it registered, so if I would have sent it registered, maybe it would have gotten there, because to Italy, you have to send it registered. His name was Lidio Grassana. He was very nice. He only wanted I should meet his mother or with my mama. I met him once in the cellar, and the girls were giving out soup, and while I was down there with him, An SS man came. They were dying. The girls were dying. Because if he saw me, he could have shot me right there and then. So he came down into the cellar. And we went against the wall. We kind of became one with the wall. And he didn't see us. So we stayed alive. And I was sent from there to another place. It was called Tiefstack. And I worked... In a sand pit. But I was chosen. You know, you have to be standing in the right place, being lucky. So I, the four men saw that I knew how to dig for the sand. And when you, when they saw that you are willing to work, they took you away. Because they liked the ones who didn't want to, they should do it. But the ones who knew how to do it, they usually got away with things. Anyway, he saw me. He called me. He was an old German. He wasn't a bad guy. And he says, you are going to be the switch man. We had a little train. The girls put the sand on the wagons. You know, these like, wagons like this. And we brought it to places where they were building new houses. The Italians were building the houses. So I had a good job. I I was changing the rails, you know, when it, the rails had to go like this, I had to put it like this, and then I jumped out and put it like this. So that was, was, and then it was also good because we had air raids during the day. During the day it was the British, and during the night the Americans. And you know what? They bombed us, the idiots. Yeah. I was, later on I was working in a factory where we made Metal things for roofs, you know, like thing. And at four o'clock, we, we were allowed to go out. So this day, it was in spring of 45, we went out, and as we came to the gates to go into our camp, an air raid took place. But we know what an air because the sirens were going. So we knew that the planes are not far away. And the the, the guy who was with us, he was an old German. He really was very nice. He didn't want to be there. He had no choice. And in his, they all were really like, for gas masks, but they never had gas masks. He always had some, put some apples there, so he could give us an apple or something. He was a nice guy. And we were supposed to let go in, so we would be in the barracks, and it starts coming. But they didn't let him. They wanted one of the SS people to count us as nobody was missing. Next to me was a young girl, very nice. Her name was Susie. And while we were standing there, the Americans started bombing us. To this day, they don't acknowledge it. I tried a lot to, to, to write to the, to the, to, to to Washington. They wouldn't acknowledge it. They know, but they wouldn't acknowledge it. A girl who was standing next to me, her name was Susie Glaser. she got killed. One of the shrapnels, one of the pieces of, of the bone, hit her and that
0: was it. And she was standing right next to you?
1: Yeah. You know what? There's a God up there. And he chooses who to live and who to die. And that's what happens. No matter where you go, no matter how you behave, You are chosen to live. Maybe I was chosen to live in order to educate people because I used to go to many, many schools here in the United States. I was all the way out west in a school to educate young people what happened to Jews. Nothing else, just because we were Jews. And I was out west, and there was a... Settlement of Indian, and the chief didn't let them come to listen to me.
0: Yeah?
1: it also happened.
0: What year was that? When I went
1: to camp? Yeah. 1945 to 1948. I was three years.
0: When did you get liberated?
1: I got liberated on the 15th of April, 1945, by the British. I was standing at the, at the gate, and they started coming in, and one soldier was telling me that Roosevelt died that day. And and I, like an idiot, I was crying because he did did not deserve my tears. You know, we always said, Roosevelt, oh, you know, he's like a saint. Well, I found out later that he could have saved so many Jewish people, and he didn't. There was a boat going in Key West, you know, it's in in, Maya, in Florida, yeah. and he didn't let them disembark, and so they came up to Nova Scotia, a few went off, and the others went back to Europe, and they all got killed. That was a word. Roosevelt also didn't give visas to people who, who were for sure getting, would die. Why didn't he let them in? It wasn't good for his politics, so... I was most disappointed because I thought that he was a special guy. He wasn't. He was a a louse.
0: You have pictures all around your room that are uh, from before the war? That's my mother and my father. How do you have them? Did you keep them with you the whole time?
1: No, I had an uncle here. He came when he finished high school, when he finished university. He came here to an uncle like me, with a young man, and he had really no profession. He was, he was learning to be a bookkeeper or things like that. He came to an uncle also, and things never worked out too well. And one day he, he met a young woman, and they liked each other, and they went for a walk, and there was a beauty parlor, and there was a note that they're looking for help. So my aunt went in there, and they hired her right away. So my uncle said, gee, that's a good thing. I'm going to learn how to be a beautician and that, and I will have a job. And that's how he became a beautician. And he opened a, when I came here, he had a store on Bishop Street.
0: What year did you move to Canada?
1: 1949.
0: So when you came here, you stayed with your uncle?
1: When I came here, I, I lived with my uncle, which is not the best thing, but you have to do. And, uh, we had some friends, my uncle had some friends, and they saw that I could uh, get perhaps a job with, elect- with uh, hydro, because I was good in math and things like that. So I went, I had to write an exam. Everything was okay till it came to grams, kilograms and so because I knew what we know now, but not then. There was pounds and ounces, and I had no idea, so I failed.
0: What happened to your mother and brother?
1: My mother died in January forty-eight, and my brother went into the gas chamber.
0: I heard that you don't like being called a Holocaust survivor. Why is that? Well, what do I call it? Witness to history.
1: That's right. What I'm telling you is history. That's what happened. That's what the Germans did. So, that's why I'm a survivor of history.
0: How old are you today?
1: 95.
0: Well, thank you very much for speaking with me today.
1: You're very welcome. Be well.
0: Isn't it sad that you couldn't find that Italian soldier in the end? Join me next time when I talk to Johnny Jablin, who speaks to us about his story and tells some really touching anecdotes, positive and negative, that took place in ghettos and concentration camps. If you liked this episode, Please like and subscribe and tell your friends. This is Eliane Goldstein. Tune in next time to The Effect On Us. And remember, history will not repeat itself. Bye.